Salam, everyone. Uh, thank you guys for, for joining me on this podcast. I want to jump in because I'm, I'm aware that there's five guests here. Um, I think if we just start off by, by a quick round of introductions um, and then we'll get straight into uh, the questions and I guess the discussion around, um, around Black History Month and, and, and the Black Muslim experience. So uh, ladies first, I learned that from our last round table. Nabil told me off for, for, for trying to get him in there. So um, Sister Hafsa, uh, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Yeah, assalamu alaikum. So uh, my name is Hafsa Dabiri. Um, I'm an author, a speaker, a presenter, currently the uh, editor-in-chief at a digital platform called Muslim, spelt with a V. Um, and I also do a lot of work to do with inclusion within the Muslim community and sort of tackling topics like racism and anti-blackness through talk shows, books and events and that kind of thing at the moment. Alhamdulillah. So we're also joined by uh, Naima B. Robert. Assalamu alaikum everyone, my name is Naima B. Robert and uh, I'm an award-winning author, founder of Sisters Magazine and host and curator, I guess, of the Black Muslim Festival that's taking place this month, alhamdulillah. Uh, we're also, we've managed to, to get some guests from, from the uh, exotic side of, of the Atlantic. Um, so firstly, Imam Hamza from, is it, was it Memphis, Tennessee, is that right? Yes, sir. Uh, so yeah, if you'd like to quickly introduce yourselves for those who uh, haven't come across you before. All right. Uh, Jazakallah khair. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is Imam Hamza Abdul Malik. I'm uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm an Imam, uh, teacher, and founder of uh, Miraj Academy, a leadership academy for young Muslims. Uh, and uh, the masjid that, uh, that we founded here is a masjid that is part of a revitalization effort of one of the most blighted and um, uh, neglected neighborhoods in uh, black neighborhoods in Memphis, uh, Tennessee. Uh, and Ezhar graduate and memorized Quran and uh, studied overseas as well. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, we've also got Hashim Shabazz. Uh, thank you again for having me. Uh, uh, pardon me for the background. I'm in Los Angeles, not from Oakland, where I'm from. Uh, down for some meetings, but I'm honored to talk to people across the pond and everything. Uh, I studied at UC Berkeley, and I have degrees in Islamic studies from UC Berkeley, multiple degrees, that is, and I focus now is I'm writing a dissertation on pedagogy of Malcolm X, or how we can use Malcolm X's life as a way of teaching, educating, transforming people's lives. Uh, it's taking a long time to get that done. Uh, I studied overseas in Iran and Qum, um, and what else? I do a whole bunch of stuff, but I'm proud to say I am from Oakland. I'm part of the Black Panther Party Legacy Keepers. So I'm part of the Legacy Keepers of the Black Panther Party. So I have a different group. Uh, I used to talk at masjids, and I usually don't know more because most of my constituents are in the streets. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, finally, Ibrahim Sinsi. I'm going to do a quick introduction for, for him. Uh, just briefly reflecting on our experience playing um, Call of Duty Warzone together. He's, <laughs> we're, not, we're not going to get into that, but, but yeah, this is, this is the first time actually we, we've had like a, a proper serious conversation about anything over a podcast as opposed to talking on, on the PlayStation. But so, sorry, Ibrahim, if you'd like to introduce yeah, yourself as well. Sorry? Did we miss an introduction from Sister? No, 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 no. Okay, sorry, I, I must have zoned out or something um apologies guys yeah assalamu alaikum um, my name is ibrahim sincere um today i guess i'm here in the capacity of spoken word uh, artist and uh, hip-hop artist um the topics i cover mainly spirituality politics um and speaking about my own experiences 
growing up in a council estate in London or what you guys in the US might call social housing. Um, yeah, that's it very much. Awesome. Well, thank you all for, for, for joining me. Um, as I mentioned to you guys, I, I want to jump right in and I want to keep my own involvement brief because I think um, that there's a lot to be said on this conversation. I think I, I, I personally want to hear from you guys and just, I guess, probe and ask further questions and, and understand um, the different perspectives. Uh, I, I'm going to jump straight in with, with, I guess, you know, with regards to the black Muslim narrative um, in Islamic spaces. Do you feel that it's something that's under discussed? Um, and, and I'm going to start with Ibrahim because we had a conversation the other day and he said that he had a lot to, or he wanted to speak specifically to this question. So Ibrahim, take it away. Thank you, bro. Um, I've, yeah, I guess at the moment, like what I've been researching or what I've been looking into, there's a book called Those Who Know Don't Say. Um, and it's about, I guess, the nation of Islam in America and the role that the black Muslims played, um, within prisons and, I guess when you say black Muslim narrative, we have to put it in a context of we're speaking in, in more of a contemporary Western context, right? Because if you were to go to Mali or Sudan or Somalia or anywhere in Africa or even in the Middle East, this concept of black Muslim isn't really a concept because it's normal, right? There's no, um, uh, there's no differentiation amongst the Muslims, at least in, in Africa and in, in Arabia, in terms of black and non-black, that's also like more of a recent thing. Um, anybody, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, so when we're speaking about the black Muslim narrative, I guess first we have to put it in the context of where and when, um, because we know like Timbuktu in, in, in Mali was a center for Islamic learning for Muslims all over the world. Um, and people from Arabia, Asia, uh, what have you would go there and study. Um, if we're speaking about the importance or the contributions of uh, black Muslims. And that term in itself, black Muslim was coined, I guess, um, by American, uh, 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 American government agents or um, American um, journalists who were actually um, speaking on them being different to other Muslims um, and, 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 and how they are different. So even the term, I guess, black Muslim in itself is, is, is a new term that we have, I guess, embraced. Um, and, and, and we should embrace but yeah mainly I've been looking at how black Muslims in, in, in America well at least recently mainly that's what I've been looking at how they did a lot of the, 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 the legwork and they did a lot of the fighting and sacrificing for Muslims as, as an entire group to be afforded the same rights and to be recognized as a religion in the same way that Catholics and Jews were recognized as a religion within the prisons um, so that means having the ability to hold Jummah prayers, uh, ability to go to khutbahs, pray in congregation, X, Y, and Z, and also access religious material. Um, Muslims in general were not afforded these same rights. So the, 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 the black Muslims and the nation of Islam were sort of pivotal in, 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 uh, like at the center of fighting for those rights and being sent to solitary confinement in huge numbers, going to court, um, bringing legal proceedings forward in order to gain those rights. And then when those right, once those rights were gained and, and once those rights were achieved, it seems like the rest of the Muslim community, at least in America, had then sort of turned their backs on um, black Muslims and forgotten what their contributions were. Uh, Imam Hamza, I, I think um, from, a, from a UK perspective, it, it, it's always interesting looking at the differences between the 
American Black Muslim struggle or the experience and and the, the UK um, Black Muslim experience in terms of I guess the stuff that Ibrahim has just mentioned is your understanding of the situation similar? Um, well, I mean, you know, there there is uh, in terms of coinage and 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 the 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 um the name black muslim yes i mean it's definitely popularized you know during the during the nation of islam um but the the meaning behind it in terms of having a unique culture unique history unique challenges uh that is a distinct a distinction and it's not monolithic by any you know you know by any means it's it's diverse within itself um, you can refer just the whole idea of black identity. I mean, you could, there's books been written on that. You can refer to uh, disintegration. Um, uh, it's you know books written on that. But the 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 point here is that there is a distinct uh, identity within the Muslim community here in the U.S. Um, as you can see with Brother Hashim, you have Shia, you have Sunni, uh, and it can range all the way from you know the Nation of Islam or what have you, all the way to you know. I, guess what you will call Salafi or, or, or uh, you know, revivalist movements. Um, but what they all do have in common is the struggle of not only just, you know, the, the, what all Muslims have to have to work with and deal with with regard to religious um, uh, struggles, but also the racial uh, really caste system um, that, that, that was established in the inception uh, of this country and the, the unique challenges that that uh, that come with that kind of level of double consciousness, as um, uh, W. E. B. Du Bois, uh, uh, you know, eloquently stated in his book um, "Souls of Black Folks." So, I think you know that that, that uh, all these different expressions of our Islam is is kind of you know uh, that's in the backdrop. The the racialization and how we're treated as people of color is always something that we have to keep in mind uh, as we're trying to express ourselves or as we're trying to liberate, liberate ourselves from whatever different social struggles that really sometimes have nothing to do with our Islam. Actually, Islam for us in America especially was used to liberate us from the racial and, and social uh, struggles. Um, the idea of even calling ourselves black Muslim or adopting, uh, even if others might've you know, possibly imposed that or we might feel, some of us might feel that was imposed on us, but even that categorization was somewhat liberating for a lot of people during those time periods. I mean, the, the Ahmadiyya, um, to, you know, a lot of jazz musicians, for example, you'll find that jazz musicians back during those times would adopt new names, um, uh, Muslim names. Um, and part of that was to create an identity that kind of liberated them from just being black. Right, just being um, a descendant of an enslaved African, um, uh, to being something that was a little bit more transcendent of just a pure white category. You know what what uh, what quote unquote white people would have categorized us as, um, and that came with certain privileges in society. I mean, uh, in in Muhammad Ali's book, uh, I think Soul of a Butterfly, he mentions as a young as a young man, they they couldn't get into uh, theaters um, as, you know, just being who they are. But if they donned um, <clears throat> West African garb and spoke in an accent with the same color, they will be able to go into a theater, a segregated theater. 
right? Because they were considered not, they weren't considered Negro, so to speak. They were considered now like Muslim or what have you, or some other category, even if they had uh, the same skin color or what have you. So, so Islam, the relationship, I think if, if just want to summarize the relationship that black Americans have with Islam is, is a lot different than a lot of other uh, uh, Muslim groups in the sense that Islam has been used to liberate, liberate us socially from the, from the confines of, 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 of our oppression here in America. Um, and it was deliberately done for that reason. It wasn't just, you know, I mean, there was, there, there, you know, people adopt Islam because it's the truth, because of the spiritual message, because of the, the, uh, the relationship that we have with our Prophet wasallam. But, um, but the da'wah that is that was pushed was pushed in the form of liberation, um, and and so that's that, that's somewhat unique. I would say that is a, a distinguishing trait among Black Muslims, especially here in the states. If I could just jump in there, I have a quick question. Um, so you mentioned that uh, sort of historically there was the adoption of Islam for those reasons, um, amongst other reasons. But do you think post sort of 9-11 and the war on terror, that's how people sort of perceive Islam as a separate identity that could sort of, I don't know, sort of uplift their identity in the eyes of sort of the white majority? So I was trying to, I was trying to put my mic down. I think my mic was a little too high. Um, one second. All right. Um, uh, you said post 9-11. Let me just make sure I get the, the question straight. You were saying post 9-11, do you think that's changed, basically? Um, I would say, uh, I would say no. No, not really. But the, the, the reason why is because, um, you know, the, what, what has changed most post 9-11 is the political climate in the Muslim community has changed a lot post 9-11. And so Black Muslims, especially Black leadership, have always kind of still been saying the same things as we've been saying before 9-11. Uh, can I, can I interrupt for a second? Can I, can I just ask, uh, you, you said that the, the Muslim landscape has changed post 9-11. In, in what way do you perceive that it's changed? Well, there was a, so, so, I mean, if you consider like immigrants, quote unquote, immigrant uh, Muslims who, who are on visa, who have to make a certain pledge in order to, you know, be in this country and get citizenship and so on and so forth. They're kind of bound by certain, I mean, they have real concerns about political correctness and being uh, considered an extremist. And they're and and they're in their countries. There are certain you know groups that they don't want to be associated with, for better or for worse. I mean, it, you know, that, it doesn't matter which country or which group we're talking about. But these are like real concerns. And post 9/11, a lot of a lot of Muslims um, and Muslim leaders were very concerned about how we spoke about um, you know issues. And this has kind of changed. You know, a lot of time, a lot of a lot of time has passed since 9/11. Um, and so, you know, critiquing Donald Trump, for example, um, but, uh, the, you know, the, this kind of uh, political, um, that, that political climate was very, like, you, can, you, can, you could feel that it was very difficult to be politically incorrect during those times. I mean, even just like Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, when he went to, um, to, to the White House, this was early on after 9-11. I mean, he was highly critiqued for that. 
Um, uh, but that you just that debate in and of itself, like can we can can we go and speak to 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 uh, uh, you know to to the president about you know war what have you? These are questions that you know black Muslim community railed against him um, early on for that reason. Like how are you going to go and how are you going to represent Muslims and so forth? But at the same time, we had Muslims who had voted for Bush, uh, a lot of American Muslims who had voted for Bush, George Bush, you know, uh, the second um, during that time. So there was there was a lot of, you know, back and forth within the Muslim community about, you know, how to talk about, you know, the government, how to talk about government policies. And, uh, uh, and so, you know, the, the, the voices that were more traditionally, um, you know, like in the 90s and 80s, were like very vocal and very like, uh, uh, you know, they had the scathing critiques of the American government or, you know, culture, you know, was very, um, uh, the, the mic wasn't given to them as often anymore. And even, and even you know, like Imam Jamil Alameen, I mean, he's still in prison. Um, uh, you know, Imam Lukman in, in Detroit, he was killed by a FBI provocateur. I mean, there's, there's a lot of history among the black Muslim community where we've seen provocateurs, FBI agents, and this is all not like, you know, conspiracy theory. This is like real, you know, articles have been written on this, where they've come in and they've tried to take advantage of this anti, I guess, um, or they take advantage of the energy that Black Muslims had with regard to critiquing the culture, critiquing police brutality, critiquing, you know, um, um, foreign policy, things like that and kind of use that to entrap people and and, and so the, the climate changed as a result of that um and, Can I... and so the people still feel that level of you know sentiment with regard to liberating themselves from oppression as we can see with george floyd and these things but um not everyone you know felt especially after 9 11 not everyone felt that that needed to be expressed as strongly as it did before no. sister naima go for it uh, um, and I think one of the things that has come out uh, quite strongly in our conversations during the Black Muslim Festival is the connection between the diasporic Black identity with oppression uh, and with resistance to oppression. Uh, and there's very much this feeling that the closer you are to whiteness, the more opportunities you have to take advantage of the privileges of whiteness. And as you know, a lot of the immigrant communities in the UK and in the States, that proximity is there to varying degrees. And so I think what we see is an aspirational immigrant class of people who have an opportunity to, 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 to get in, you know, to, to assimilate and to get in and to, to take advantage of the privilege, which is something that black people have never had. Right, and I think this probably goes in the states, in you know, in the UK, uh, in the diaspora in general. So one of the things I feel that we have benefited from is an outsider's perspective on the society. It's almost we, and, and again, of course, this is not to discount the black middle class, um, of course, um, but I feel like from what we see in the UK, uh, maybe it's in the states as well. Uh, the black Muslim population, even if they are economically aspirational because of their blackness and the black experience, 
there is more of a critical approach, a critical attitude towards power, towards privilege, towards stuff that's going on, which I think, you know, dominant Muslim cultures or, you know, Asian, Arab, etc., Muslim cultures, they're not about that life. You know, like they, they, they want to assimilate, they want to get, you know, the, the benefits of the society. And I think if you have for generations have worked and worked and worked and followed the rules and broken the rules and followed the rules and you still can't get a break. I think something happens there where you start to think, you know what, maybe this system isn't actually worth assimilating into. Maybe this whole thing isn't actually worth, you know, me selling myself and selling my soul, etc., to get a piece of. And so the, the theme of resistance and resilience is something that we have, uh, as speakers, as panelists, we have heard it coming up again and again and again. And a lot of people kind of want to put black Muslims in a box as this despised group, as the ones that everyone ignores and they don't ever get any representation, etc. And while that may be true, the flip side of that is that we have a, a, a view on the community a view on the society that allows us to critique it and that allows us to, to really to push for change and to, to fight for change and to call for change and to make up noise, you know, in ways that is actually, it, it, it has the potential to transform our communities, our society uh, and rebuild things. And I, and I feel like that, that aspect of being a black Muslim, if you want to call it that, certainly we are, as I use this term during the festival, functionally black, because the festival has a lot of African speakers and a lot of African audience, who of course, as the brother Ibrahim said, do not see themselves as black, right, in the way that we do, because they have their own national identities, they have their own clan affiliations, etc. But when you come out of Africa, and you are now a minority, you're black, like everybody else. Um, but I, I want, I, I feel we can claim and reclaim what being black as a Muslim has, has made us um, and not allow the dominant cultures, certainly in the UK, we, we are a minority uh, and the dominant culture is, is Asian culture and not allow their attitudes, their values, their prejudices, their stereotypes and their low expectations of us to have any bearing on us and how we move. And I feel like reclaiming that space, I think that's what's been happening. I think Hafsa, mashallah, I always defer to Hafsa because she is one of the pioneers in the space because millennials be moving different. Sorry guys, I just wanna say, <laughs> millennials do be moving different, okay? They're not like us, especially in the UK. The millennials in the UK, black Muslim millennials in the UK, very comfortable with their black and Muslim identity, very comfortable taking up space, very comfortable creating their own safe spaces and their own platforms. And it's like us elders, we're like just coming into that space now, but they are really the pioneers of that in the UK, mashallah. And I think that it shows with them because not only are they making, uh, you know, making changes and making waves within the black Muslim community, but within the dominant culture as well. Where, you know, like Hafsa said, that she's, you know, she's the editor-in-chief of a platform that is not a black Muslim platform. It's a Muslim platform. Uh, and so the stronger we are in our identity, I feel, the, the, the better it is for everybody. Um, so that, yeah, that's, that's kind of my take on that. Uh, thank you. I, I wanted to, to bring in uh, Brother Hashim and, and just, I guess, uh, coming back to the kind of original question, looking at the, the black Muslim narrative. And, and I think when we think about America, 
um, historically and, and the, the Muslim experience, not just the black Muslim, but the, the Muslim experience, one of the central figures is Malcolm X. Now, obviously, I, I know that you're, 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 I think you said you're writing a dissertation, if I'm not mistaken, was it? And, and you're also close to uh, the family and, and, and have taught his nephew and whatever else. In terms of, sorry? His grandson. Sorry, his grandson. In, in terms of, um, as I said, all of that considered, when we talk about a black Muslim narrative, do you feel that it's underrepresented and discussed when, when we look at Malcolm X as one of the central figures to American Muslims, full stop? Um, I'll say this, first of all, I think everybody says something really good, and I think it's all connected. Uh, I only disagree, and Hafsa, you disagree, man, I'm a teacher at a university, so I think our millennials are going in the wrong direction, personally. <laughs> I think they got a lot of energy, so you got to, as a teacher, that's only because I think that the one thing is the word allies, right? that there's language that the millennial people are using that to me is detrimental for the movement going forward. So this Black Lives Matter stuff and all these things going on, I get it. But you gotta remember, I'm a historian, but also I'm a Panther Cub. So like Bobby Seale, the founder of the Black Panther Party, I talked to him the other day, right? I talked I talk to our, my elders who are 80 years old and I agree with them is that the way we see the language of going forward we separate people. So I give example. They say the blacks are over here. I don't know how it is in England. You have the allies over here. Okay. Well, guess what? Yuri Kuchiyama was Japanese, and she was the first one to run up on stage to get Malcolm X mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Nobody in the Black Liberation struggle would consider Yuri Kuchiyama uh, what an ally. She was a comrade. You know, when you look at the Weather Underground, right, and they work together the Black Panther Party. So remember, I got a different perspective because I'm Panther Cub, and when I think of resistance and black, I don't use the word black except in a political concept. If someone asks me what nationality is, I would say I'm Moorish American because I understand that being a Moorish American has its own connotations to the American, uh, how America sees us as African capitalists. One of the things that brother made a good point was um, about us being the immigrants, right? Think about this. Everybody in America but Native Americans are immigrants except us. We're captives. We're the only people who are brought here unwilling to come here. So our dynamics is different than the Pakistani or the Iranians. So they've already, I don't know how it is, they've already come to America looking for the American dream. So their dynamic and their experience is totally different than our experience, right? And how we see blackness is different because we had it in one of our cases, like, are we blacks or are we Africans? You see what I'm talking about? And that was something we really debated about in UC Berkeley because we have said black as a political term when we're talking to them. But amongst ourselves, I see myself as a person of African descent because it connects me to a land, not to a, a verb, I mean, to an adjective. Black is just an adjective that was used in the 60s. And so I think that for the Muslims, we have to make sure we understand the, how we use these words in connection to the audience that we're speaking to because we can, mis, we can mislead people. So one of my biggest pet peeves is when they say, who are the blacks around Prophet Muhammad? That's the no part. That's the dumbest thing in the world because everybody around Prophet Muhammad is considered black in America. You know what I'm saying? Whether you are light skinned or dark skinned, you're considered black if you got one drop. But sometimes we get in this thing, well, Bilal is the only black person around Prophet Muhammad. That is so silly. Prophet Muhammad is considered black. All the Arabs are considered black. And they know that. But we start to use these words in order to identify to make. We're still trying to appease the person that we're debating against in our language. And so language to me is important. So when I see the black experience, um, it's important that we contextualize. So I see myself as a Muslim of African descent, right? 
uh, I was talking to an Indo, Indian and Pakistani couple that lived downstairs from me yesterday, and I asked them how do they see Sister Kamala Harris, right? Because to them, you got no Kamala Harris, right? But, you know, yeah, so yeah. Be like, and what I find interesting is that Kamala Harris was raised around black people, but she, to me, she's not African American, and she's not black. Her father's from Jamaica, which is not the same experience as African American, and her mother's an Indian. And as the sisters know, women raised their kids. The food she ate was Indo-Pak food. The food she ate in the culture of her grandparents, she don't got no cousins like me. I got cousins Harry over here on crack and all that. So my whole experience is totally different, right? And so I say that only because if you notice, Kamala never puts forth the fact that she's of Indo-Pak descent, which I think is also important too. Like she's always talking about this blood. She's trying to get these votes, but her being a woman of Indo-Pak descent is just as important for her being raised around African-Americans. But again, in this political culture, people pick and choose what they want. And I think as Muslims, we should highlight all the beautiful ethnical backgrounds that Allah gave us. And so when we talk about the African-American experience, to me, the African-American experience is, is one where we look at the different diaspora. It's more of a diaspora part, right? So Black people in England have a different diaspora than Black people in America, but we're still part of the same transatlantic slave trade, right? Um, when I look at Indo-Pak, and I could be wrong, please jump on me, but Indo-Pak's in America, and you can edit this out, in America, hey man, they saw Indo-Pak's in England, they will fight you. I'm trying to tell you right now. And I think it's why, because Indo-Pak's in England got a different experience with the British than Indo-Pak's in America. And their parents are closer to seeing their parents get hit by sticks and all that. And so I, has, I was in Iran, I had some partners from England, I'm from England. They want to fight everybody. I say, oh man, where, where'd this come from? Like, so I think that experience in different places also highlights how you see a lot of how you interact with people of color and everything. So I just say that because to me, the black, and I say, so you're talking about resistance, this is important. Um, if you go to Colin Kaepernick's, um, I'm really good, good friends with Colin Kaepernick, right? And I have one of my little friends of mine named Amir. He, he's the one who actually helped Cap in a lot of his stuff. He wrote an article on his thing, it's called Resistance in Our Blood. And if you go to his website, it's called, Re in Dr. Amir Hassan, he wrote it, it's a beautiful piece about African-American Muslims and resistance all the way from Africa to America. But he highlights our African-American experience. And I say that only because the brother mentioned A. Brown. Well, Jalil Abdul-Mutakim, he, he just got out of prison the other day. He was an African-American Muslim, right? New Abdul Kayyum. There's so many BLA and BPP members who are Muslims who have just, who are getting out of jail. So there's a lot of black African Muslims who we don't talk about. And you guys heard group called CARE? Yeah. So I talk to people like, I said, how you talk about all the Arabs all the time? You don't say about black people. I don't get it. Explain that to me, right? Like, last thing I'll say is, there's a movement called the Jericho Movement. It's very important. The Jericho Movement is a website that you can go to and talk about all the political prisoners. Many of them are African Muslims, right? But it was started by a Muslim woman by the name of Sophia Bukhari. And Sophia Bukhari was one of the most powerful women. And she, no one talks about this Muslim sister and the work she did because she's grassroots oriented. Now, one of the things I love about Sophia Bukhari that people don't know, you guys know who Yuri Kushiyama is, right? She's the Japanese lady who gave Malcolm X mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, right? You should look at her. She's the, in Life magazine, they have Malcolm being shot. There's a woman on top of her. That's Yuri Kushiyama. She was a member. She was a Japanese lady. She was part of the AAU. Um, Sister Quabilla told me only three people could cook food for Malcolm's family. Sister Betty, Sister Sandra, and this Japanese lady named Yuri, right? And Yuri's a real popular lady, but Sophia Bukhari actually gave Yuri Kuchiyama Shahada, and she took the name Fatima. So there's so much of an Islamic history that's connected with all of these people and everything that that means that African experience is a shared experience. But when we talk about it, we just make sure that we talk about it in a way where we accept all the different experiences will be different, but at the same time, understanding is it's, it's, a, it's a holistic approach to it. 
Thank you. I, 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 I'm aware that like, I've got another four questions to get through, but we've, we've spent a lot of time on the first one. But I think it's important because everyone's coming at these from, from a different perspective. And, and it, it's, it's very, very fascinating, to be honest. Um, uh, but let's, let's move on. I, I mean, the second thing I want to ask was about uh, the identity um, and, and what the identity means to you. And I guess Hafsa, after uh, Hashim says kind of deconstructed all of the language around black Muslim and, and what these things mean. Um, the, the question, I guess, is a bit more open-ended from my side in terms of, you know, how do you identify and what does the identity mean to you um, specifically? Uh, I think the identity is like constantly changing. I don't think it's like a, a thing that's sort of written down in stone. I think it's very sort of, for me, especially on my journey from probably about 10 years, 10 years ago, and now my what I'd cast myself as the sort of descriptions I'd give to myself kind of constantly change um but I think when it comes to blackness obviously I'm Nigerian um and so I really sort of identify with my culture on that side and when it comes to Islam um the way that I sort of abide by my the, the religion is from you know my heritage from my culture in West Africa in Nigeria specifically the dominant medheb is the Maliki Medheb. So I'm very much sort of on that path with, you know, Sufi aspects that are just not even from like the sort of the trends and traditions that we see sort of developing in the young community now, but more of like, what did my grandparents do? And what is my grandma telling me? What are, what are my parents telling me? That's how I sort of um, learn about my faith and continue to sort of develop upon it from that foundation. Um, and I think it's been a very difficult journey for that reason, because of how within um, sort of predominantly Asian and Arab Muslim spaces in the UK, that sort of idea of the Maliki Medheb is like literally just shunned and like the idea of Sufism is just shunned. And I wouldn't call myself a Sufi just because I don't feel like titles are, you can't call yourself a Sufi. It's like, a, it's a practice. It's a, it's, it's a, you know, a, 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 yeah, it's a lifestyle. Exactly. Um, so for me, it's like, um, I think Sister Naima mentioned that she feels as if I'm very sort of strong in my identity and that's sort of where everything came from. But for me, it was the conflict of walking into spaces and being questioned about how I was living my life um, and people calling me non-Muslim for the way that I was practicing my Islam. And for me, that was very conflicting to come, even, even from like uh, people of knowledge. I had shuyukh, I had sheikhs and people who were teaching me who were from different medhebs and would be telling me what I'm doing is completely out of the fold of the religion um, and not realizing that that was coming from a place of bias um, and, and lack of understanding and passing that on to young people like myself. And so growing up in that space, those sort of spaces for me was very transformative in the sense that I was on the sort of edge of losing myself and not understanding how my faith and my culture was supposed to align. Um, and instead was sort of catapulted into this world of actually, you know what, I found these spaces quite toxic. I've got to now create spaces where people like me, people who have the same medhebs can uh, go to people of knowledge and who can uh, sort of be inspired and just, um, Sort of find a way to balance all of these things in our lives obviously we never find the perfect balance but to to go hand in hand with culture and faith um and i think obviously that's quite different to um sort of things over over on the other side because um the sort of idea of being a black muslim is much more interconnected i think on that side of things but i think with the disconnect from our culture that we that i experience as um sort of second generation uh, it's been quite difficult to um find a place that works for me um but yeah no alhamdulillah i think that's 
that's where I am currently and it's more about sort of ideas of representation I think are quite important for me seeing people who look like me um Muslim people who look like me living their lives living those kind of lifestyles I think are really important for, for millennials to be in spaces like this um and so the first children's book I wrote was um a little girl called Basira. she plays basketball she wears a hijab she's black um, and she's the center of a book that talks about confidence Islam faith growth, family, all of these things that are so disconnected from being black and being Muslim um, in the mainstream anyway, but are very natural to us growing up. Um, so yeah, no, alhamdulillah, that's, that's where. Uh, and I think uh, it makes sense to bring in uh, Naima straight, straight after, because obviously you mentioned Hafsa and the millennials and the new generation. Historically, um, what's it been like from a sort of identity perspective? Have you felt the need to conceal or hide away from the sort of black muslim identity or what's it been like just an you know yeah i think it's a it's a really interesting uh, journey because um obviously i am mixed race and so my dad's white and my mom's black and i grew up in zimbabwe so i grew up in africa so as far as i'm concerned I'm African, so grateful to have grown up in Africa, yes. And so that's one difference. Second difference is that I'm a convert, I'm a revert. So I actually had a lot of conflict with accepting Islam on the basis of my Pan-Africanism, which had developed after I came to the UK. Uh, and when I went to university, um, I, I was president of the African Caribbean Society, president of LONAS joined a pan-african uh, group and really that that's what i was saying about you know when you leave africa you are made to question your identity so much more because now you are in a space where the majority is imposing a particular identity on you and you have to decide am i going to take this what they're telling me i am am i going to find out who i really am and kind of commit to that so anyway my my pan-africanism Caused, posed, posed an issue for me because I went to Egypt, I was intrigued by the hijab, I was intrigued by Islam, but I'm like, I'm an African, I'm black, I can't be an Arab or an Asian, I don't want to leave my identity in exchange for this religion. And I'm very grateful to my friend who said to me, but there, you do know that there are Africans who are Muslim, right? <laughs> and I was like, that's true. So alhamdulillah, I, I, I talk about this in from my sister's lips because I went on this journey of discovery to Guinea and Senegal. And of course, if anyone's been to West Africa and you've seen the way that Muslims are in West Africa or wherever, wherever you go in Africa, actually, it's just a part of them. There was no conflict. There was nothing that I could see that made me question, can I be both? So that's alhamdulillah how I was able to become Muslim. Uh, and I became Muslim. Uh, I, I married a, a Ghanaian brother, mashallah, and living in South London, the bit that I want to offer is, once, firstly, I started wearing the niqab, and going from wearing a head wrap to wearing a niqab is quite an alienating experience if you look like this, because already I was, okay, where's she from? With the head wrap, anyone could recognize me. Sister, ah, oh, sister, yeah, yeah, all of that. As soon as I started wearing hijab, now is it, is she Moroccan, is she Arab? And then when I started to wear niqab, I think a lot of people over the years, many people didn't know that I had any connection to blackness, as in Naima B. Robert, didn't know who she is, what she does. Um, so what that means is that for us in the 90s, I just want to speak to kind of, as you said, like the, the older people's experience, for us in the 90s, we came into Islam 
Many of us were converts, reverts, and we came into Islam and we came into Salafia. And it, uh, the Salafi experience in the UK, I think is quite different or maybe the same as the States. But we came into Islam and we were told that your religion, your religion is the most important thing. Your race means nothing. It doesn't matter that you're black or anything else. All of that is jahiliya and basically get rid of it. Um, so you will find that for many, many years, people who became Muslim or started practicing in the 90s, they were not on blackness like that, especially not politically, especially not politically, because it was felt that your Muslim identity or Islamic identity, that, that is the only thing that matters. And anything else, that's your weakness, that's jahiliya, you know, that's, that's just, it's not from Islam. And it's only now, and I'm seeing this in my peers, only now that you're seeing people who at the time were black, whatever, like, you know, I'm Muslim, I'm on Quran and Sunnah, etc., who are now reclaiming not just their, their black culture, not just their black identity, but also what blackness means in a racialized society in terms of your politics, in terms of your critique of the society. And so I'm seeing that with my generation, this renaissance happening where a lot of my peers are, are proudly stepping into that black Muslim, you know, um, you know, proudly black, proudly Muslim, and there's no conflict there. But again, we didn't learn all the, all the ways in which Africans were tied to Islam right from the beginning, right from the year of the Prophet's birth. And I remember uh, Sheikh Abdullah Hakim, quick, if I can just, just mention this. He told the story of uh, Abraham, who came with the elephants, right? We all know the year of the, the, year of the elephant, uh, the Prophet was born, and there's this huge army coming, okay? Which the, the Meccans are fleeing from this army, right? So much so that Allah SWT has to send the birds with the stones and we all know the story from the Quran. And Sheikh Abdullah said that Abraha, King Abraha, was an, he was from Abyssinia. That was a, an African king who was coming to fight the Meccans at the time, the Quraysh, right? And we never think of it like that. Just like when Muslims think of, you know, the, the Islamic past, the only black person they can think of is Bilal. But right from the Prophet's birth, there was King Abraha, there was Abraha, then there's his foster mother, who was a, a woman of African descent, who was like his second mother. And again and again and again, you start to see that actually Africans have always been there. And Africans have always been implementing the deen, have been instrumental in the deen, have been the supporters of the deen, Najashi, you know, so, so many, it doesn't make sense to start naming them, but it's like that history has been erased and we're only left with Bilal. And I want to see that, that, that needs to be addressed for everyone, not just for people of African descent, but for all Muslims. Because I think that that erasure of blackness from Islam is a part of the racism that our, our brothers and sisters, our co-religionists have, have imbibed through whatever the caste system, through colonialism, through whatever it is. And I personally want to see that, that I want to see that, that that imbalance, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be redressed. I, I, I want to actually pick up on something you just mentioned and put the question to our, our, our two Atlantic brothers um, and, and, and whichever one of you wants to, to answer. Just in terms of you mentioned the, the, the experience of Muslims in the 90s and, and the kind of embracing of Islam um, and that superseding culture and whatever else, what was the uh, American or the black uh, African-American 
um, experience like in the 90s with regards to the clash or how, not the clash necessarily, but how culture and religion go, go hand in hand? I don't know which one of you wants to answer. Feel free to just jump in. So, um, inshallah, I, I, I want to talk from the perspective. It's, it's probably going to be two different perspectives, considering that I was uh, born uh, born Muslim and raised in uh, uh, Imam Zaid Shakir's community in uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, so, uh, from 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 that perspective, uh, um, there was a tangible there was a tangible as uh, as the sister had mentioned. There was a tangible sense of that kind of Salafi vibe, at least on the east especially on the east coast and that's a whole nother thing difference between the east coast west coast um, uh -huh. but, but definitely on the east coast the Salafi movement uh was was very strong and it and it pretty much uh, uh there was there was a even if whether you were Salafi or not there was a tension in terms of um you know being able to you know, like justify uh mainstream black culture in within uh, you know within the muslim black muslim community um uh so on one hand you had you know the war of dean community with, with who had always been like progressive a progressive community um but also very old you know, an older community as well so the type of black culture that they were that they were you know really uh more attuned with was more from like the 70s and the 60s you know and, and the music and the dancing and all right. these type of things where it had that kind of flavor to it um versus more of the hip-hop culture uh, uh of the 90s but that said you had from 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 that side to you know the Salafis was like oh that's haram and you know it's all jahiliya <laughs> um yeah so there there was there there was there was that range right there but you what you would find is that every major muslim uh, or every major city, especially where there were majority black Muslims, like uh, you know Philadelphia or Atlanta, um, you would you would find you know that range. You know you had your Wardeen masjids, and they were big masjids, and you had your you know you know prolifer you know proliferation of 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 Salafi masjids, and you had the envy of all what was in between. And so um, you know our masjid was more. Kind of in between, you know, we 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 had embraced, uh, 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 you know, Tasawwuf, um, uh, Madhahib, uh, people had studied overseas in places like Syria and Egypt and Morocco. I myself went to Morocco. I went to Syria. I went to Yemen. And I went to Egypt. Um, <clears throat> and so there was there there was more of a uh, uh, um, I don't want to say balance because that gives the impression that you know one or the other was an extreme, but there was just more uh, you know I guess diverse uh uh opinions within our community considering that we had you know we were we were working from Madhahib more on principles than on, on actual individual issues um uh so they weren't like linchpin issues or like litmus tests do you listen to music do you you know you're a good muslim or a bad muslim it wasn't like that kind of kind of thing from, you know uh, everybody had their their flavor we had some people who were from the war of dean community we had some people who were who are uh, Salafi oriented? We have some people who, who, are, who are people of Tasawwuf, and generally in the black community, you'll find some level of mixture there. Uh, but the masjid itself was more a masjid that was that was dedicated towards revitalizing a neighborhood, very similar to to uh, what we're doing here in Memphis. And so, if you were down with the cause in terms of cleaning up the streets, because remember this is crack, crack epidemic, um, you know, 80s and 90s. If you were, if you were serious about that then you know and 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 you know you did your five prayers and you know you, you know, basic muslim um and you weren't about 
you know, calling other Muslims kafir or, 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 or you know, you know <laughs> calling their blood halal for whatever reason, then you, you know, you were generally considered someone that could be worked with, at least within our community. Um, but, you know, obviously that varied from place to place, you know, depending on where you were at. But there was a tangible, you know, kind of, um, you know, uh, that's the Salafi Dawa was being pushed very hard. And it did uh, create a lot of pressure and tension within all communities, even if you were in the Wervdin community. I mean, everybody did feel like they had to justify what they were on. Like, what's your delil? You know, at the end of the day, that that idea of like, you know, producing delil, producing your proof of what you were on. Um, and by 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 virtue of that, it kind of gave people a sense that, you know, the, the, that our culture or their sensibilities weren't already natural to the dean, right? So that we have to, you have to prove it. Uh, the very fact that you have to prove it means that it's not already kind of in line with the natural way that the dean is. So I got to prove that it's part of the dean. It's kind of like that kind of uh, mentality. Um, uh, but, but, you know, most of us, we have non-Muslim family, you know, we, we, you know, we, we, like my, my parents are converts. Um, I have cousins that are all, you know, not uh, most of them are non-Muslim, you know, aunties that are non-Muslim. So this is, this is something that, you know, we grew up in the culture. Um, uh, whether you listen to music or not, you were surrounded by, it. you grew up in the hood or you grew or you, even if you were middle class, you know what I'm saying? You had friends. Uh, uh, or cousins or what have you. And so this, this was part of the culture, you know, um, whether, whether you uh, produce that culture or not is a whole other conversation, but, but you, are, you, you were definitely a part of it. And it was something that you had to deal with one way or another. You had to give dawah, then you had to, you had to talk that language. You had to know who you were dealing with. Um, uh, but it was still a, a sense of Islam is going to save us from the vices of what was introduced into our culture, even if it wasn't something that we ourselves, uh, like you know, like the whole the whole uh, crack epidemic and 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 all of all the crime in the neighborhood, Islam was supposed to come and save us from that. Even even today, when we started the masjid in in, in Memphis, people in the neighborhood were like, "What are y'all going to do about these drug dealers?" Right? <laughs> um, that, that's it, it's just understood in in the culture that black Muslims. Uh, specifically black Muslims, if a Turkish Muslim was walking down the street, which we do have Turkish Muslims in our community, they won't ask them that question, right? And so it's not just about, unfortunately, in this case, it's not just about him being Muslim. It's about, oh, you're a black Muslim, so you should know what to do here in this situation, which makes sense, I mean, because you're, you're supposed to be part of that culture. So, um, Hashim, I'm going to ask you a, a, a big question, but ask you to do it very briefly somehow. Okay. Um, uh, Imam Hamza just now spoke about culture um, and he mentioned music. Uh -huh. And um, just before we started recording, we were discussing very briefly um, music and hip hop specifically. And, and you said something right. I thought which was quite interesting off air. You were talking about the fact that if, if, it, if, if there's music that mentions Christ or Jesus, it's Christian uh, music. You have the same with, with other religions and whatever else. But you said if you have mentions of Allah, it's hip hop. Um, so I think if we're, if we're on the topic of, of, of the 90s and of uh, culture and Islam, um, I guess just some thoughts from yourself about um, the, the meeting ground between Islam and hip hop and, and the influence that it's had, I guess, both ways. But again, I, as I said, as, as briefly as possible. 
I know it's a whole podcast. I know the time frame, but I just want to <laughs> uh, kind of go from um, Imam Hamza's point because it's important to understand that he's made point. There's a difference between the time frame in East Coast and West Coast, right? And I was a convert in the late 80s. And by being a convert, yeah, my experience is different, not just being a convert, but in that time frame, hip hop music was already the word Allah. Like the first time I heard the word Allah was like in a rap song. Rakim said, All praise belongs to Allah, and that's a blessing, right? The first time I saw Quran was Rakim's video when he got the Quran coming down, which for some people, this is blasphemy. But for us, it's like, yo, you know, and it had, but it was Islam, it had principles to it. And so, like the president, I was raised in a mosque. I'm gonna get the Imam Abdul Musa, right? And in California, you, you know, our experience was I didn't know what a Salafi was, right? Because the mosque I went to was African American, but it was Shia, Sunni. It didn't make a difference what your Madaya was, as long as you want to put in work on the streets. And so I was raised with everybody like, look, man, that Shia Sunni stuff, we put it to the side. So I remember when I went to Juma at UC Berkeley, there was two Jumas on the fourth and fifth floor. I didn't know where to go, I just touched Shahada. They said, I said, well, who's on the fourth floor? It was the Salafis. And this is what they said. They said, them people support Saudi Arabia. They said, the fifth floor support Iran. I said, which one's revolutionary? They said, the fifth floor. I went to the fifth floor. <laughs> now, the funny thing about it was, the fifth floor was mainly all Sunnis. It's, I mean, just you know, it wasn't the Shia Juma. It was Sunnis who supported the revolution. And so sometimes people get this Madhya thing mixed. But when I came into the room, Dr. Hamad Al-Ghar, Imam Musa, Muhammad al all these people, they're all Sunnis. But they supported activism, you know what I'm saying, whether it was Sunni or Shia. And so that kind of transformed. But the hip-hop was intertwined because Malcolm came in and he brother made a good point about music. They were less likely to call you haram by listening to music. So if music was part of your culture and it was revolutionary music, you would gravitate towards those people instead of the people who are telling you it's haram. It's just that's the way it went and everything. And the last thing I'll say is this, he said something important. One of the biggest difference was the drug use. Because Imam Musa was the biggest drug dealer in Oakland, right? And so him and them, he was like, he was against going after the drug dealers. Why? He felt we should convert what? The drug dealers. And so our dynamics was we had drug dealers coming and making salat with us. And so it was a dynamic. So how do you justify this? Well, the Arabs who go sell liquor every day, ain't nobody said about the Yemeni brothers who make a Jew and eat every day, right? And so little by little, we were able to down. So like biggest drug dealer is named Freeway Ricky Ross. I don't know you guys ever heard of him, right? Um, he's a good friend of mine. So I'm about to, actually, I'm in LA, I'm about to go see him, right? He's the, he's the reason for the crack epidemic in California. But he went to jail and he said he read the autobiography of Malcolm X and it changed his life. So when I look at dope dealers like that, I'm like, you know what though? A lot, and it goes back to my last thing, the pedagogy of Malcolm X. If you don't, Malcolm has changed so many people's lives. We got to keep giving Malcolm to everybody. I'm trying to tell you, he will transform the, Allah's, to me, Malcolm is our ayatollah. He's a sign of God, a transformation. So I think that how we get Malcolm to people is very important. You know, there's so much to unpack in everything you just said, but we don't have the time. We're going to do this again. Um, but, uh, okay, so, so, so moving on. Um, Ibrahim, uh, the, the first question I asked, you mentioned uh, Mali being a, a center of, of, of education, and that's kind of been lost. Um, and actually, collectively, there's been examples that you guys have given of, um, I guess, you know, African or black Muslim contribution being marginalized or sidelined or ignored for whatever reason. Um, why, why do you think that is? And, and how, how can we change that? Do we need to change that? Um, why do I think that is? I think it's a bit of a straightforward answer and it's anti-blackness. Um, 
I think a great thing that has come out of this conversation is that we see that there are so many different unique experiences. So when you say, what is the experience, what is your experience as a black Muslim, even that is like such, uh, I guess, a general term. Everybody has, um, has their own experiences. Um, like me, so me personally, um, I'm East African and, and, and South Asian. Um, East African as in, uh, so I was born in Kenya. My parents uh, were born and grew up in Somalia, um, but we're mixed even within, within Somalia. Uh, we were a mixed tribe. Um, Badawani, Swahili, X, Y, and Z. So even, even from that perspective, if you were to go to uh, East Africa, if you go to Somalia, you have 10 Somalis in a room and you ask them, what does it mean to be black? You're going to get 10 completely different, uh, different points of view. Um, so that's a beautiful thing. Now, in terms of why, um, why has this not been discussed? Um, I think also what is great that's coming out is that we are now going out and educating people about the history of um, black people, African people within Islam and their contributions to Islam. I mentioned, I guess, um, earlier about fights for rights within prisons and stuff, but uh, and that's in America and that is very recent. And then all through the time, and as, as, uh, uh, as Sister Naima mentioned, there are important uh, historic black figures who have contributed to, 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 to the tabligh and the spreading of Islam. And I think talking about this conversation in terms of the, the, the millennials and, 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 and those from the 90s and the 80s, alhamdulillah, we're all, we're all learning from each other and everyone is laying down a block for the next generation to come and continue building and whatever glass ceilings there are, every generation chips away at it just a little um, and we continue to do that. So alhamdulillah, inshallah, we'll continue to lay down those uh, building blocks for the next generation to come and they will be more learned and more educated than us and 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 these conversations will not be as unique as they are, unfortunately. Right now, this is a unique conversation. That's why, like, within the hour, I guess we all have so much to say. Um, even I want to talk on, like, for example, uh, Brother Hashim spoke about um, Islam and, and hip-hop in America. Um, I could speak about Islam and, you know, in, in, in London um, and, and how intertwined it was with grime music um, and how popular it is in South London amongst, uh, amongst the black so what kind of music? London. Grime music. So grime is like a variant. It's like a variant. It's like a UK British variant of, of hip hop. Um, that is sort of fast. G R I M E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm looking up. I can see this conversation going sideways very quickly. But my point is, like these kind of conversations, they take you know books and lectures and 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 films and music and like there's such a wide corpus of, of, of knowledge that needs to be tapped into um, conversations like this are just sort of chipping away at the end. And I, I was going to say, I guess, uh, Naima and Hafsa, you guys have obviously both been involved in, in the, the Black Muslim Festival. Obviously, we had that podcast that we did a couple of weeks back specifically about that. Um, so I, I guess to both of you, do you think that things like the, the Black Muslim Festival lend itself to... Um, Re-establishing the the Black Muslim contribution in a sort of mainstream setting. Oh, that's a really really interesting question. I mean, I remember when I spoke with the editor of the Guardian um, about the article that I wanted to write, uh, and he was he's a he's, he's a Black British man, and he was like, Black Muslims, hmm, what's the deal? And I was explaining to him that, you know, there is a minority, I think in the UK, it's 10% uh, of, you know, black, uh, African, Caribbean, African, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and obviously being a minority in, 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 in a faith community means that there are certain, uh, you know, certain challenges, 
coupled with you know the anti-blackness and racism that unfortunately a lot of people come with or grow with uh you know from the asian subcontinent so he he didn't had no idea that the the protests in the summer and the the, the police brutality and the murders had led to conversations about anti-blackness and racism within the muslim community itself he had no idea so this was news to him and that's you know why they commissioned the article but i think that what was for me what's heartening about this festival is a the pan it's it's a global pan-african muslim event uh, it's not a british thing it's not an american thing it's not a canadian thing it's not a western thing that is so precious and if anyone's watched any of that i invite of course all of you to to, to to join us and come and you know be a part of these conversations because the learning that has taken place with brits across the atlantic but also africans hearing the diaspora the diaspora experience the diaspora learning from africans and you know and what that means for us as muslims is extremely powerful so that's one thing that i hope we continue to do more transatlantic pan-African global communication, collaboration, cooperation. That for me, because one of the things that we know, and I, I believe very strongly, while Africa is disrespected in the world, the descendants of Africa and Africa's children will never be at peace. That's what I believe. That's my personal belief. Uh, I believe that the, the, the communities, the societies that we live in in the West were never made for us. I actually personally believe that they are toxic soil. I believe that they're poisoned. And the healing has to come from us reclaiming who we are as Africans. That, that's, that's my personal belief. Uh, and, and for that to happen, we have to talk. We have to learn from each other on that basis of mutual respect, mutual acceptance, mutual healing, you know, say, making space for and holding space for each other. Because that's one thing I'll tell you, when we have these conversations, it doesn't matter whether it's about black love, which we talked about, we talked about family, we talked about history, identity. There's one thing that keeps coming up again and again in almost every session, and that is trauma. And unfortunately, to be black in a racialized world, in the, the, the world that we live in today, is to have a history of trauma. Uh, and, and, and that is the trauma that the more... The, the, should I say, when the trauma is not acknowledged and nothing is done about it, then there can be no healing, right? So whether it's the trauma of having to leave your home and bring your children up in England, divorced from their culture, whether it's the trauma of not knowing who your people are, not knowing your real name, not knowing your language, whether it's the trauma of leaving your house and on a daily basis being afraid for your life, that is trauma that needs collective healing. It's collective trauma. That's what I believe and I, and I see it. And you, you see the, the, the Nigerians, for example, hearing it from the horse's mouth, from the descendants of the Nigerians, the Senegalese, the Gambians, speaking their tr truths and there's a kinship there because just as you lost your, your, your tribe, your people, you lost your name, so have we in our own ways because Africa is, you know, considered to be the place that receives aid when actually Africa is the one that gives the aid to the rest of the world because Africa is where all the resources are and is, you know, and all that stuff, right? So globalized mo mo mobilization, I feel for me is something that I want to see. And then the other thing as well is, 
alhamdulillah, the more <coughs> we create for the wider community, the more we're in a position to now be on equal footing and actually share and, and learn together as well. Because as something somebody said about us teaching other people, I think it was Brother Ibrahim who said us teaching other people, brother, we're out here learning. Mm-hmm. Like we are literally out here learning because some of this stuff, like yeah. Sheikh Abdullah Hakim quickly has a four part video. We played it as part of the, 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 the festival. Mm-hmm. People were like, what? Africans were doing that? Africans went across the Atlantic. The, the Muslims were, you know, went across as slaves. How many Muslims? The Muslims were the Maroons, were the troublemakers. Like we didn't know this stuff. So as we're learning, yeah. we can start to disseminate. But the, for me, the key is the next generation. What are we going to teach them? How are we going to bring them up to truly love who they are as children of African descent, wherever they are in the world, and as Muslims blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was Iman. And, and to clarify, sorry, I just want to clarify my point as well. Um, I think we are, are, are being more, we are being empowered in the sense that we now understand or um, we understand that it's not our responsibility to educate others um, on their anti-blackness. I think um, a lot of, as you like, you're, you're to, to bring back to your initial question, right? You said, um, why has the um why have the contributions i guess of black muslims not really been appreciated um by other muslims um i guess like for for people who have embedded or programmed anti-blackness within them in like for them to accept um that people that they see as below them have actually contributed to islam and actually were the reason why they have a lot of their freedoms and have a lot of their beliefs and are able to access a lot of the the books and the uh, education that they do is very difficult for them to accept and for many years uh, for a long time i guess black muslims have been sort of fighting a losing battle and trying to prove that they uh, should be accepted within the muslim community um that we should be given the same rights and be given the same um i guess uh, respect as other muslims but overall you know once you try that five times ten times you try that for 20 years you realize that actually you're not getting anywhere and you haven't really um, and progressed in 20 years uh, or 30 years or 40 years or 50 years except by actually taking that by force and going back within your own community and educating yourself and empowering yourself and first growing from within your community and we have a lot of bonds and ties that we have to create within ourselves um and to, like as Sifa said we need to uh, uh, embrace an idea of pan-africanism because i guess like we have tribal issues so on and so forth so being able to um, be empowered in that way, um, I think, will be the uh, yeah the driving force of the future. Can I make, can I make one small point? Just real yes, quick? please. I'll say the sister. What the sister said is phenomenal, and I think she makes a point that sometimes we talk about blackness, but Pan Africanism is extremely important. I remember when I went to South Africa, um, I went to Robin Island, and one of the things that differentiated was between the ANC and the PNC. PAC, right? And, you know, Robert Sabukwe and them talked about from Cape Town to Chicago, you know, Chicago to Cape Town. And I think that when we look at the diaspora, Pan-Africanism is a very important part in understanding the differences, but we connect back to Africa. Why do I say that? Because I have a lot of Koja friends. They're African. They from they speak Swahili. That's what they know. They're Africans, right? If you look at Gandhi, Gandhi was an Indian African, right? And then it's deep because Marcus Garvey, who's considered the founder, was the UNI. He was from England, came to America, but he taught Pan-Africanism. And I think that is a word that us as Muslims could probably use better to identify and bring people together. So I think what the sister said is extremely important. But I will say one thing, sister, that I believe that Arabia 
is a peninsula of Africa. <laughs> so I thought that because to me, the culture of West East Africans and people on in Jeddah is the same. Like a person's gonna eat cock, you know what I'm saying? I'm, you know, in East Africa, just like somebody in West Africa doing it. So to me, I think that we gotta throw in Palestine too in Africa. So you know what I'm saying? They all Africans. So we don't reclaim everybody. Anyway, the first woman was born here, so you know we might as well start to hit you. Thank you, um, uh, Imam Hamza. I, 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 there's, a, there's, there's two more questions. I think I'm just gonna have to selectively. Um, ask one or two of you the questions and obviously other, others feel free to jump in with any points but I, i'm aware that we're we're over the hour mark and i don't want to take too much uh, more of everyone's time um so the other two questions the, the, the second last one is about um your personal um identity and, and and you know specific to your race and and how you feel that um that sort of connection to your race has deepened your relationship with islam and vice versa like is there a connection for you and and how is that manifested uh, i think it's an excellent question um i would say for me uh uh i i definitely identify as i mean what 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 we would normally call african-american or black american muslim uh or what it, that's what is commonly known as but really um I think that's somewhat misleading because it tends to give an impression that it, that something about blackness itself or uh, it, it has some kind of essential quality to it in terms of how you, you would behave or what have you. Rather, it's more the experience of being the descendant of an enslaved African that is now, you know, has been reintroduced to Islam, um, uh, you know, after it being taken away. I think it's just that that I, that understanding of that experience of being in America, being the descendant of an enslaved African, um, and and acknowledging that legacy and acknowledging that experience is what really informs my perspective uh, of you know the role that I play, the unique um, unique perspectives, unique sensitivities that I bring to the table, and that that, that people like me that I can identify with also bring to the table. Um, and I think as a Muslim, one of the things that, and, and there's no problem having that. And I think that's, that, you know, sometimes we, 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 we're, we're, we're somewhat uh, apprehensive about acknowledging race or things like that. No, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, he was clear about his tribal, his tribal lineage, tribal affiliations, as well as all the, the Sahaba and the Abyssinians and what have you. So that, that that's built into uh, our understanding of tradition. Um, and, but what we could use it for is understanding the Prophet Wasallam, as well as uh, uh, his, his family and his companions, they, we, can, we can gain from our experiences, we can identify and, and solve the problems or bring uh, solutions to the table based off of the experiences that we share with the experiences that they had. Um, and not all of us share the same experiences due, due to the, just simply due to the fact that we come from different races. And, you know, says that one of his signs is, um, uh, is the differences between our tongues, between the way we speak and um, our color. That's a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, sometimes I, I, I halfway joke 
at, with some of my students once I mentioned that 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 a I was like would you say ebonics is a sign of a lot of time right? based on that a I mean it is what one of the tongues of the human being um and, and but what what you know out there you know that was a little tongue-in-cheek but the reality is that every human being has certain experiences that or, or uh, the tribes and the races and the nations of, 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 of humanity have experiences that can be um, expressed in a unique way that other people can't express it. I think this is what hip hop has been able to do very eloquently and that's why everyone can identify with it because everyone's been touched with some level of colonialism and racism and they can't express it in the way that hip hop has been able to express it from the deep understanding that we have as descendants of the slave Africans in America who are now Muslim and have been touched with Islam in a way that other parts of the Western Hemisphere has, you know, other, other uh, people in the African diaspora haven't been touched, um, you know, in that way or haven't, you know, experienced Islam in that way that we've been able to experience. So that's the unique thing that I think we're able to bring. So when we come to our neighborhoods, we're bringing, you know, we're bringing knowledge of the unseen, you know, through our religion and able to tie that and give meaning to our experience in a way that's much more meaningful uh, uh, than, than any other people are able to do, you know, are able to, to express. And I think when, when, when we give Darwin in that way, people are able to, to realize, you know what, all this that I've gone through has a meaning um, that transcends, you know, th this, this, you know, temporal reality and it actually gives me a certain level of insight into my into my relationship with my Lord that I probably wouldn't be able to get in this way if I had got it, gone through a different experience. Um, and, that, and that's a unique value. And I think that's why, you know, um, our, our Shaheed Malcolm was able, uh, you know, Hajj Malik Shabazz was able to, to really touch it, you know, and tap into that in a way that um, that kind of is kind of quintessential to 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 the kind of unique and value valuable approach that uh you know that our people have uh that can touch all people all over the world that, that was a, a a really beautiful answer I'm, I'm i'm to be honest i'm actually gutted that that we don't have more time to do this i do have more questions we're not done yet i'm not wrapping up but i, I just wanted to reflect for a second that there's just been so many different avenues that this conversation has kind of gone down and 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 i i I love the kind of diversity of perspectives and, and generations that we're kind of bridging here as well. Um, and, and I think to probably go to the, the other end of the spectrum and, and um, Hafsa, I, I want to ask you a similar question in terms of earlier you spoke about your, um, your heritage and, and having like an, an inherent pride in that, in your, in your Nigerian roots and that being a part and shaping your, uh, your Islamic identity and the way that you practice and, and, and everything else. So um, again, it's the same thing in, term, in terms of um, understanding from your perspective what, uh, I don't know what the word is, what strength or, or what um, completeness, I guess, the, the, the marriage of culture and, and religion has had for yourself. Yeah, I think um, it was the home that was really the foundation for me. I think if I didn't have my parents and um sort of their insistence on understanding the culture learning the language eating the food and really sort of soaking myself in what it means to be nigerian i wouldn't have been able to sort of walk out and sort of defend myself from the planes of being a woman a black person a muslim a person who's differently abled like i just wouldn't be able to deal with all those kind of things so i think the um the sort of the comfort that that provides now moving forwards is that 
I I do definitely have moments of sort of conflict where I have to sit down and sort of reflect on um, sort of the morals and the values that I grew up with but it's a lot easier for me to navigate spaces in which I'm being questioned um, and spaces in which I'm forced to sort of uh, voice my identity very vocally um, and sort of counter and be on the defence um, but I think also recognising that there is the element of always sort of needing to defend oneself when we get into certain places, especially in London, meant that um, like the Black Muslim Festival, it was important that we created spaces where Muslims could walk in and not feel like they had to defend themselves and feel as if it was more about just exploration and learning and sort of community rather than um, sort of fighting people and always battling with um, sort of their blackness and their Muslimness and, and, and being questioned on those fronts. And I think one of the things that it really showed me as well was that um, it was a privilege for me to have my family because I sort of have conversations with people who they want to leave the religion as a result of the treatment or they want to dis disassociate themselves from their culture and what they grew up with because of how when they walk into those spaces, they didn't have the privilege that I had of sort of having that foundation and having that backup and having that um, sort of solid community to, to come from in the first place um, and so it really is a big issue I think when it comes to um, providing black Muslims with that comfort um, and, and really just reinforcing what it means for them to be able to have spaces to sort of explore for themselves inshallah. Thank you and um, the, the final question I have I'm just going to leave it open-ended and, and whoever wants to, to jump in with an answer feel free um, but, but that question is, what can other ethnic and cultural Muslim groups learn from the black Muslim community? If anyone has any thoughts, feel free to jump in. I just want to say very simply, we don't. <laughs> like Muslim community is lit. Like that, that's come and experience the energy, listen to the incredible conversations, the honesty, uh, you know, the, the, the humor, the energy. And I'm claiming that. I don't care what anyone says. My experience and what we've seen. Have said, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> but there, there's just an amazing energy there. And, you know, I think that there's so much that other people can learn, but also enjoy. Uh, and, 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 yeah, just, uh, just have that experience of, of being in a space where you're open to, to listening and to learning. It's, it's a very, very humbling thing, but it's also a privilege to, to be able to do that, to actually have access to, to people who are different from you and be allowed to, to see them in their natural habitat being themselves. And, uh, and people go away learning a lot with a lot of food for thought, mashallah. So, you know, the more, the more people venture out of their comfort zone and into those spaces, yeah, I think the more transformations will happen, inshallah. Thank you. You know, the brother made a good point about the differences, and you can edit this out, but <laughs> what I get talked to different people, different cultures, right? I don't talk to immigrants no more. That just be really, right? It's just because I talked to a friend of mine. He said, hey, man, and part of this language we use, he said, he said man, you a nigga shake. Like, What's a nigga shake? He said, you only talk to niggas. Now, some of y'all don't get the Friday, but for us as black Americans, this word is not a good word. Like, he laughed because he knows exactly what I'm talking about, but the word, People who know the word, it's a, it's a cold word. Like you speaking to people who don't nobody care about. There's black people, but there's some black people that they just niggas. Malcolm X was a nigga. I mean, no matter how you cut that, I don't think y'all everybody can use the word. But 
is a part of talking. And I think about this way. If you can do the history, Abu Zar was a thug. Now, do you guys do realize he came from a tribe of thugs? He could, the whole tribe converted. So Islam attracted everybody, people in all the different parts. But the two things I would say that they can learn and they can take consideration. One, I say this as a follower, I don't consider myself Shia, but I follow the Ahl al-Bayt, right? Is that whether people believe they were imams of Ahl al-Bayt or not, from Imam Jafar Sadiq to Imam Mahdi, everybody who says they're Shia, do not realize their mothers were black Nubians. And so every imam from Jafar Sadiq to Imam Mahdi are black and African. So I'm, I'm amazed that Shia is going to like, dude, how can you have anything negative black when your imams are black? One. Two, for the whole ummah, Ali Shariati said this beautifully in his book, Hajj. He said, five times a day, you bow down, not just toward the Kaaba, but to an African woman who's buried next to the Kaaba. Maybe if they just at least learn who Hajar is and where she's from, then that, inshallah, could transform them and it makes a lot. My, um, I think what, what was um, mentioned, I guess, like throughout the conversation a couple of times by Sister Naima, by Brother Hashim, is the spirit of resistance that you find within Black Muslims that you don't find within Asian Muslims and, 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 and Arab Muslims. And I guess um, each, uh, each, communities, each community is responsible for their own empowerment. Um, but if I was to speak on what other communities can learn from the Black Muslim community is to not have this uh, 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 as Sister Naima mentioned, like this, 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 this desire that never ends to assimilate and to be accepted um, within like the Western white society and, and, and to not be seen as different in any way, because whether you are black, brown, white, anywhere that is outside of Europe, you will never be seen as equal, um, in my opinion, uh, 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 amongst the general white population in, 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 in the West. Um, and I think as the sister mentioned, um, Black people, Black Muslims, um, Black people as a whole have accepted that um, um, in the majority, but I think amongst uh, other communities, there's still a lot of, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's still, a lack of, still a lack of acceptance. And what that has led to is, is, is a lot of people sort of stepping on each other um, in order to climb this ladder um, and, and, and a complete lack of, I guess, empowerment um, from, from that perspective. Any other final thoughts from, from, from anyone else? D don't feel compelled, by the way. Just give, giving a minute in case anyone thinks of anything. We're good. All right. Well, well thank, thank you guys all for, for, for taking part in this, uh, in this conversation. As I said earlier, it, it's, for, for me, it's, it's been a, a remarkable learning exercise and, and hearing so many different perspectives. And, and I think there's there's individual conversations to be had with with each one of you um with myself hopefully in the future and i know i've, I've spoken to sister naima before ibrahim and hafsa as well um but i, I definitely think uh, imam hamza and and brother hashim there's there's a lot that we can discuss and unpack and, and maybe we can have you guys on the podcast again in the future inshallah um but again thank you all um and uh yeah we'll 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 see you around inshallah